Hello and welcome to North Dakota Legislative Review. I'm Dave Thompson. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on the program is the chairman of the House Finance and Tax Committee, Representative Craig Headland from Montpelier. Representative, thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Dave, for having me. Well, let's just tell people, how long have you been chairman of House Finance and Tax? Dave, I think uh, the first session I served as chairman was in the uh, 2015 legislative session. So you've seen a lot in terms of revenue going up and down and revenue going up again. We've seen the highs and lows. And speaking of uh, revenue going up, one of the big issues, at least from my perspective, this issue is going to be tax and tax relief. And you are shepherding right now the uh, income tax. Tell us where you're at with that. Uh, yesterday in the Finance and Tax Committee in the House, we passed out three income tax uh, measures. One of them would provide a flat rate of 1.5% with a zero bracket for uh, the first $47,000 roughly of income for a single filer. And then I think it's about $75,000 for a, a, a couple uh, that's married and filing jointly. And that was one of the bills? That's one of the bills. Uh, a second bill is a little bit higher of a flat tax rate, uh, a rate of 1.99%, which is a little different the way it's crafted. It uh, provides a credit up front of uh, $800 for an individual filer and $1,600 for a married couple that files jointly. And the third bill? The third bill is a uh, path to zero, and it the bill itself would work whether we pass any uh, tax relief or not, but uh, essentially what it does in times of prosperity, if the forecasted revenue is 10% over what it had been forecasted at, it would trigger a one-half percent uh, reduction in the marginal rate or rates uh, depending on where we end up. And of course we're talking about income tax rates because that was one of the governor's priorities as well to try to uh, say that income tax probably affects more people in the state of North Dakota. Am I correct? It does. I think there's about uh, there's 566,000 uh, people who file income taxes in North Dakota, and uh, that's a much much greater number than those who own property. Well, in terms of your bill, does it affect out-of-state taxpayers? Well, it depends on which bill that you're uh, okay. uh, going to speak to. And the bill with the 1.5% flat rate uh, and the zero bracket up front, uh, it's been coined the governor's bill. It's actually my bill uh, that I had offered. That bill would uh, reduce rates for every uh, taxpayer. The 1.99% rate with the credit uh, that's provided up front, it's a, a credit that would be provided to only North Dakota residents. So it, the difference in that bill is every uh, taxpayer would be impacted by the 1.99% rate, uh, but if you're a North Dakota resident, you would receive the credit, which would minimize that uh, impact to those that would be paying at a lesser rate today. Okay. Now, is the plan for all three bills to go to the floor at the same time and say, okay, pick and choose which we want? Uh, as of right now, Dave, that is the plan. 
Uh, we don't, haven't uh, chosen a day. It's going to have to be early next week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, or possibly Wednesday. We haven't chosen the day that we're going to run the tax bills out. I think it depends on how the scheduling with some of the other committees and some of the significant important legislation they uh, have and how they, uh, the leadership feels they want to run that. But we do want to try to run the tax bills on the same day. And I suppose the reason you're doing it next week is you're getting close to crossover. We are getting cross, uh, close to crossover. Those bills do have to uh, be uh, voted on prior to that. So all the House bills will be voted on and they'll cross over during crossover. Now the Senate passed some uh, property tax relief. Well, one was the, that to put more money into foundation aid and to lower mills from 60 mills to 40 mills and also something to do with the uh, homestead tax credit. They're coming over to the House. How do you, is there a way to reconcile both, both concepts at least? Well, I believe that's what will occur at the end of the session. The House did also pass a homestead tax credit bill out of committee that has not been voted on on the floor yet. That's going to be part of the uh, tax package that the House sends over. So the House is de uh, dealing with both income tax and uh, homestead uh, property tax relief for those that are 65 and older. Uh, the Senate has passed those two measures, as you talked about. One of them, uh, a mill levy buy-down for uh, uh, education funding, and the other one is uh, a little bit different homestead tax credit bill. So It's all very interesting. And uh, what do you have to do to reconcile this? Well, I think it'll be just a negotiation between the House and, and Senate leadership uh, tax uh, committees and we'll just see how uh, it all flushes out. But I think there's a number of how much tax relief we believe we can afford and sustain into the future that is like a total of what we would provide between both income tax and or property tax. But what I hear you saying is there's probably room for something in both. Well, I, I think that's definitely the case. We talked about tax bills. Another bill that came up was, was removing the trigger from the oil tax. And tell me why that was an important bill. Well, Dave, oil production has been, become a significant piece of North Dakota's economy. In fact, it's the leading industry. It's overtaken egg as far as the revenue it produces and how those uh, dollars uh, run through our economy. The trigger, uh, essentially, when it triggered, led to... Uh, um, the trigger amounts to what uh, we see as a windfall profits tax. So as North Dakota is reliant on oil, the the key thing that we need to do is to keep production up. And how we do that in the Bakken is by uh, capital being applied, uh, you know, for uh, various things that they do in the oil industry, but it's, it's capital intensive in the oil patch. And, and in order to keep production up, we have to have a stable tax environment. And we believe that it was uh, just not good tax policy. It's not business-friendly tax policy to, when things are good, uh, you know, to put essentially what amounts to a 20% uh, surcharge tax on that industry. And what we found out, and I think this is what's significant about that 
piece is that, you know, we went through the, the times of uh, really bad oil prices during COVID and, and we lost some oil companies and, uh, you know, some of those uh, um, midstream companies that we all need, you know, to keep oil production up. When oil recovered, uh, things did stabilize and, you know, it got high enough where the tax trigger actually kicked in. And you would expect to see additional investment in, uh, and, and more capital brought to, you know, either increase production uh, during times of high prices or at least maintain where the levels that we were at. However, we didn't see that with the trigger applied. And, you know, it's just one of the probably, one of the reasons that we didn't see that additional investment. And, and frankly, I think during other times, uh, without the trigger, you know, we might have possibly seen an increase in production, which, you know, brings additional revenues to the state. So it, it's all about uh, bringing capital to North Dakota and getting it invested in the oil play in, in the Bakken. It sounds like you're saying play the long game, not the short it's, game. It's the long game, yep. And I think it mentioned that, you know, if they don't invest in North Dakota, they have other places, shale plays to invest in. They do. Uh, you know, we're in a real uh, competition uh, with New Mexico and Texas and their shale oil uh, plays. And, you know, when the trigger was uh, first enacted, when we w dealt with the oil tax back, uh, I believe it was in that 2015 session, and that uh, that high trigger was put into place. We were in a different time in the Bakken. At that time, you know, the Bakken was the prominent uh, shale oil tax play, and we really didn't have to compete with uh, the states of Texas and New Mexico for where that capital gets applied. We're in a different world today, and I think we saw the impacts of the time when the trigger was on and where the investment went, and it, it did not come to North Dakota as we had hoped. Permian Basin. Permian Basin. So that that is another perhaps incentive to say to the oil industry, we need we need you to stay here. We're going to remove the trigger, so you won't have to face this twenty percent increase in, in revenues. We we absolutely do need that industry here, and you know as the Bakken ages and it becomes more of a mature play, you know there are other things that we're going to have to do that uh, you know may look like. Uh, they're going to reduce revenues up front, but again, it's about keeping production at levels that we really need to uh, keep this economy going and, and keep that back and play an important uh, piece for American energy production. Another one that's, that's there along the same lines is this bill about a tertiary recovery or uh, enhanced oil recovery. You, there's a bill that I think your name is on the bill, isn't it? About well, you're, you're talking about the re-stimulation Re-stimulation, that, that was the word I was thinking. That is another bill that was uh, brought to us by uh, one of our, our larger oil companies in the state. And, and, you know, their choices of where they want to put their investment up. Yeah, you know, I think this company is one of those companies that has uh, developed most of their leases. And so if they're going to continue to bring capital to North Dakota versus uh, investing it in the other place that they're uh, heavily active in, we needed to take a look at doing something 
for a, a re-stimulation or what they call a refrack. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this bill was put forward to address that. It passed out of the committee, I believe, unanimously, and that will be on the floor, I believe, tomorrow mm. for so a the, vote. But that does, I think, that you said that might need some tweaking. It might need some additional tweaking. We did tweak it from the way it was introduced, tried to limit the exposure to North Dakota revenues, and at the same time still provide enough of an incentive for an oil company to invest in a well that has lost its production. And the real goal here would be is to have an active well not become a stripper well where you lose the tax revenue of the extraction piece altogether. And talking to the EERC, there's a lot of studies that if you could find a way to unlock the, the refracking, if you want to call it, or, or just using carbon to, to get in there, you know, carbons that's sequestered to enhance oil recovery, there's a lot of oil that's still available. There is uh, so much oil in the Bakken that, you know, there's enough oil that will last for generations to come. We need to continue to incent. We need to continue to uh, find reasons for companies to invest. You know, as time passes, technology changes, and it seems that we're able to get more and more oil out of that rock than, than we were in the past. Now, when you talk about secondary and tertiary recovery, you're really addressing uh, a move on like a whole oil field where this refrack is like a, a, a particular well. Okay, targeted to a well. Yes. Yeah. Similar to what that company is doing in Bowman County, correct? Well, they, are, they have a tertiary recovery. They're using CO2 to enhance the oil production. I believe... Uh, um, Anecdotally, I've been told it's it's working very well. Uh, production has gone up to levels that they really only imagined. So there are things and improvements in technology that are really going to help North Dakota and all shale oil plays in the future. And kudos to our EERC who is helping develop uh, technology that's going to work in the Bakken in a horizontal well. I believe the wells that you've referred to down in Botno County are your traditional mm. vertical older wells. So. I know there's some more work to do on Bakken. There is. What, what's the best way to, to get that oil out? Yeah, there is more work to be done there, but I think we're really close. And, uh, you know, we already have incentives in place, you know, for when that technology is ready and to be deployed into the Bakken. So uh, we're ready with tax policy. I think we're just waiting on the technology to get there, and it's my understanding it's really close. Now, I just have to ask you, since, since we're talking general tax policy, has there been any discussion about tax incentives for getting animal agriculture back in North Dakota? Uh, well, there hasn't been any chatter about tax incentive itself. It's more of the business structure associated with uh, bringing that capital in. Uh, animal agriculture, uh, in today's terms with some of the size and scope of them uh, are really expensive you know we've we've heard dairies uh, a 25,000 head dairy costing upwards of 30 mil 30 million dollars you know so uh, again that that's more than your average family farm is going to be willing to invest it, it with the risk associated with doing that so what do you think about the idea of um 
carve-outs. I'm, I'm, I'm calling them carve-outs. Some people are also calling them carve-outs of the, the corporate farming law that we have in North Dakota to allow animal agriculture to, you know, to expand a bit. Well, I think I agree with them. Uh, you know, I think we need to do everything we can to incent that. That, that with all the uh, uh, manufacturing or the uh, um, what's happening with. Uh, soybeans, corn, um, and and all of that. We really need a place for those feedstocks to go. They, everything can't be loaded on a rail and, and shipped out of here. So, you know, the best way we can do that is to bring some animals here. We bring some production. Uh, it's going to help those um, companies that are, are trying to um, get all the oil they can out of soybeans and, and the uses for that. But it's those feedstocks that we need to worry about and, and the benefit of what that would bring uh, to local communities. I think we really feel that animal agriculture and uh, you know, getting some of those located here would really help our rural communities, uh, the small towns, because of where they'd be located. Are there special exemptions that, that the legislature is considering for these things like a Cargill soybean crushing plant or anything like that? I don't know that we've addressed any special exemptions for any of the current uh, uh, processing plants, but we've, we've got exemptions on the books to uh, try to encourage them to come here. And as you are probably aware, the latest to announce uh, is a soybean crushing facility that's going to be located in Grand Forks. We already have the soybean uh, facility at Spiritwood. We have one that's being built in Castleton. And then we have uh, a just recently announced one in Grand Forks. There are also corn processing facilities that are being discussed as well. So you're seeing that type of potential for economic expansion in North Dakota. That's correct. There, you know, there's even a lot more exciting projects happening than that. I think uh, we're on the cusp of. Uh, announcing a fertilizer plant, possibly a fertilizer production plant being announced. You know, it depends on policy that gets passed this session. And, uh, you know, we're working as hard as we can to make sure that we've got the business environment uh, to get all that we need for our North Dakota economy here. Uh, our farmers need fertilizer and, you know, we're the essentially the last uh, stop uh, as fertilizer comes up the uh, Mississippi or gets unloaded in the ports. Uh, so what we can produce here is help, is very helpful. Now here's something a little different, but again, we're talking taxes. Um, there have been studies over the past few biennials. Interim committee took a look at the exemptions that are already in, in statute and looking at what are used, which aren't used, which can go or which need to stay or be enhanced a bit. Any thoughts on, on how that study's gone? Well, we have been, and I have been part of those uh, interim committees that have looked at those exemptions. And what we've tried to do with existing exemptions is, uh, is, is there a need to continue with the exemption? Have we ha been able to incent what we were trying to? And, and part of the discussion uh, recently was the soybean uh, processing uh, facility exemption. I believe it was two interims ago. We we had the discussion and we hadn't been able to incent everything. Uh, so we discussed whether we should take it off uh, the tax rolls or not. Uh, the decision was 
uh, made at that time to leave it in place and here we are uh, just a few years later and we have three facilities that are being proposed and being built. And three, three facilities for, I think North Dakota is becoming one of the top soybean producers in the world. Well, North Dakota, I believe, ranks uh, high. I don't recall our exact position in uh, production, uh, you know, as far as states go. But we do have, I believe, two of the three top producing counties in the whole country uh, located right here in North Dakota. I'd like to uh, shift gears again and just ask you, are there other particular issues that you're really interested in and kind of keeping your eye on this session? Aside, uh, Aside from, taxation, from taxation, which is going to take up most of your time, I understand. But well, uh, certainly workforce uh, has, uh, you know, really come to the forefront. Uh, our need for labor and and the workforce, uh, I don't think, has ever been greater in North Dakota, and that that all fits in with the tax policy, the income tax uh, reductions we're looking at, uh, but you know, all other things that we can do, you know, to try to encourage people as they leave other states because of high taxes and other things, you know, to give North Dakota some consideration. So you're talking about building a climate in North Dakota where people want to move here and and fill some of the 30 or 40,000 jobs that are out there. Absolutely, Dave. That's uh, what we're trying to accomplish this session, and I think we're going to have some success. What about child care? Child care is a big issue, and I believe that there are pieces of legislation in, in regards to child care that are going to pass this session to try to help uh, young families that it becomes a problem that uh, they either uh, can't find the adequate child care, which I think is the biggest problem. We just don't have enough of those uh, different uh, uh, businesses, small businesses. You know, we don't have enough people willing to do it, and, and that's a problem, but hopefully there's ways we can incent that. And can I say you've probably seen that, that whole attitude about you know, state involvement in getting childcare started or, or helping childcare out. That seems to have evolved since really the, the early 90s is what I can remember, through now here we are sitting in 2023 and workforce is like issue number one. It really has. I, I've been on the tax committee for a while and we've had different uh, bills over the years. Uh, some have passed, some have failed for various reasons, but uh, the bottom line is uh, today we're almost in dire straits where we really have to do something uh, to, to help young families because uh, if they can't find childcare, one of the parents is not able to enter the workforce and, and when we're so short on labor and, and skilled labor, you know, what else are we going to do? And of course that is a ubiquitous type issue because you hear complaints from the oil industry. We need more workforce, we need more people doing frac crews, we need more people doing oil and gas production. And you hear it from retail, you hear it from manufacturing now, if, if, if you're talking about the, the corn crushing plants, the soybean crushing plants coming. Those are good paying jobs, but can you find people to work? Uh, Dave, I don't think there's a sector of our economy that isn't challenged with workforce uh, issues. Uh, we know in the agriculture community, uh, we're challenged with workforce issues. Uh, technology, uh, a service, you know, oil production, uh, Manufacturing, I think uh, you could go right down the list and you'd find that every every area is short of labor and workforce. Another overarching issue. Yeah, very.
again, you're talking about the top three or four issues. The, the, those were my top three or four. We have a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you about your feeling about changing the retirement plan for new hires for state government from a defined benefit to a defined contribution plan. That bill is going through. That bill is going through, and I think I think we really have to address it this session while we have the economic resources to do it. We can continue to kick the can down the road, Dave, and and you know we if we had addressed it a few years back when we had an opportunity, it would have cost us a. 25% of what it's going to cost us today. And this is taxpayer money we're talking about. But at the same time, we've also made a promise to those employees that have come and have dedicated their careers to the state. And, and they deserve what they've been promised, and we feel obligated to do it. However, you know, moving forward, I think younger generation doesn't care as much about a pension. They actually prefer a 401k type of uh, package that is a mobile and they so they don't get locked into one position uh, and and have to uh, make a career out of a position that essentially in order to get their uh, pension their retirement that they've been so promised so you're you're basically saying what some of the studies have shown is that People aren't spending as much time in jobs as they used to. Well, that's right. They're changing jobs. Yep. Unlike some of us who have been in our jobs over 40 <laughs> years, but that's all right. Well, some of us have only really known one uh, uh, job. And, and uh, you know, I think there's, there's a blessing that goes around with being able to, uh, you know, have a job and then uh, see it through till retirement. Uh, but, you know, some, some like change. Some like to uh, move around and, and do different things. And, and to each his own. Well, we have about a half minute left, and I ask every guest this question. What's, how, when do you adjourn? Well, I, it, I, it's gonna be the end of April. I think uh, my guess is we're gonna go 78 days. Okay, you're saying 78, which is anywhere between 75 and 78 is what I'm hearing, so. Well, thank you for taking the time and being here. Well, thanks a lot for having me, David. It was a great conversation and I would be happy to uh, come and talk with you anytime. Great, thank you. Our guest, Representative Craig Headland from Montpelier, Chairman of the House Finance and Taxation Committee. For Prairie Public, I'm Dave Thompson. Mm -hmm.